Hey, it's Luke Burbank. Welcome to LiveWire Radio. We're backstage right now at the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival in Seattle, Washington. We got a heck of a show coming up for you. We've got Nico Case here. Uh, we've also got the hilarious comedian Ophira Eisenberg. You probably know her from Ask Me Another, the NPR quiz show, and music from Devachka. Now, the show today is going to be about surprises, and we're actually surprising Ophira. I got to whisper because she's literally in the next room. We're having her actual sister come on the show to air out a childhood grievance involving Barbie dolls and a bill owed of $37.50. This is one of those things that most other radio shows would not do because they're a terrible idea, but that's kind of our specialty here. So stick around to see how it all turns out. It all gets going right after this news. From PRI Public Radio International, it's... Livewire! Recorded in front of a live audience at Summershoot in Seattle, Washington, it's Livewire with Nico Case. Ask me another, Sophia Eisenberg, with music from Devochka and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, the only person ever thrown out of a Mariners game for hitting a batter during the ceremonial first pitch, Luke! Thank you, announcer Jason Rouse. Thanks to our awesome house band. Thanks to all of you for being here at Bumbershoot in Seattle. My name's Luke Burbank, and uh, I'm your host. The uh, theme for this hour that we've chosen is what to unexpect when you're unexpecting. <laughs> you might be wondering, what does that mean? And the answer is, I have no idea. Um, you might know this, uh, marijuana is now legal in Washington. And I feel like we've had a lot of nights where we have great ideas on the show, and the next day they don't make a lot of sense. And this hour's theme could definitely be an example of that. I think what we were trying to get at was this idea of, of talking about the unexpected moments in life. And something that happens to me fairly frequently when I'm talking about my daughter is people will ask me, uh, how old is she? And they do not expect me to say, she's 21. Because I am not the age of a person who should have a, a grown adult child. And it happened because, as I often say, um, she was born when I was 17 because uh, I felt like it was time. Um, you just, you get to the point where you've done the whole junior year thing and you're... You're ready. Um, um, when, my, uh, when my daughter was uh, very young, uh, the kind of visitation situation was that I would go over to uh, her mom's house once a week, and her mom uh, lived with her parents, as you might imagine, being in high school still. And I would go there, and for about an hour, I would hold my daughter. And this turned out to be a reliably awkward part of my week because it involved sitting in a living room and making small talk with a group of people whose lives I had effectively ruined. <laughs> in the short term, anyway. And so, you know, I, I sort of didn't always look forward to this. And one week, I, I just didn't go, because I guess I maybe wasn't feeling like it. And then the next week, I felt embarrassed about the first week, so I didn't go again. And like two weeks turned into two months, and two months turned into about a year. I could feel my life kind of, as a parent, spinning totally out of control. Like, I knew that I was becoming one of those guys that has a kid and doesn't see the kid or talk to the kid or know anything about them. And I'm the product of one of those people. Like, I never met my biological father. So I didn't want to become that. But I didn't really know what to do about it. So finally, I wrote a letter to her mom. This is, you know, pre-email. It's probably the last thing I wrote in cursive. Uh, if I think about it, I wrote a letter that basically said, I really screwed up and I don't really know what to do about this. And her mom did something unexpected because I had been a really giant flake. Her mom called me and said, let's meet and talk about this. And we met at a Red Robin hamburger <laughs> restaurant in the Northgate Mall in Seattle. 
And we have some Red Robin fans in the house. It's good that you're focusing on the important part of the story. This is actually product placement for Red Robin. But it was a, it was a really intense moment because you had these two like 19-year-old kids having... I feel emotional actually even talking about it, to be honest with you. But you had these two 19-year-old kids talking about this hugely important thing, which was what's going to happen for the rest of our life and for the rest of this kid's life. And uh, her mom said to me, this is your one do-over. <laughs> do not screw this up. And miraculously, I didn't um, screw it up. I mean, I kind of did at times, if you ask my daughter. But <laughs> I, we did end up having a relationship. And it's been the most amazing thing in my life. And um, it's never gone the way I expected. But it's always been better than I could have expected it to be. And um, that kid is now 21. She's actually here. This is why I'm getting really... I thought she was going to be at, like... Nacho Picasso right now. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's why I'm being totally weird right now because I actually didn't, didn't think she was going to be here. But um, The one thing I can rely on is that she often reminds me that she's 21 and has not gotten pregnant yet. <laughs> and um, I guess if that's the moral to this very weird one-way conversation with you where I started crying. Moral is, don't, don't be a teen parent because those kids will grow up and they really will lord that shit over you. And that is, that's not cool. So that's a little safe sex speech here at the top of this. Let's get, let's get the next thing going. Wouldn't it be amazing if I didn't have a kid Just, just lying to your faces. All right. As we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we're here in Seattle. We're at the Bumbershoot, a music and arts festival. And um, we were thinking it might be kind of interesting to get some of the history of this event out there for all of you who are unfamiliar. So here to fill us in is our Bumbershoot correspondent, Mr. Sean McGrath, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Hey, Luke. Hey, Sean. Hey, buddy. So um, a lot of people wonder about the name mm -hmm. Bumbershoot. Bumbershoot. Yeah. Um, but I understand that wasn't even the first name of the festival. No. Very early on, it was called Tuberbang. Yeah. <laughs> Slightly different. Um, it didn't really quite work out. They thought it sounded ridiculous, so they changed it from Tuberbang to Rippin' Bodie. And then they also thought that sounded kind of dumb, so then it went from Rippin' Bodie to Slap a Boof to Munchkin Gut, to Smarf and Blatz, to Miasma Phantasma, to the artist formerly known as Smarf and Blatz, uh, to Rolf and Pop, to Labia Majora and Menorah. That was a regrettable time in the 80s, if yeah. I remember. But I still have that t-shirt. Yeah, it's a collector's item. Yeah. And then they finally settled after smacking blindly on a keyboard for a while on Bumbershoot. So, oddly enough, it worked out. Huh. Yeah. Now, does Bumbershoot actually mean something? Yeah. The, uh, the random typing actually means, uh, in Sasquamish, it means a large gathering of white men outdoors in presence of guitars and marijuana weed. How they could have known that all those years ago is, a, is pretty It was amazing. actually a Final Jeopardy answer, too. Really? Yeah. All right. Good to know. Um, I've heard that there have been some historic moments here oh, at this absolutely. festival. Oh, absolutely. A lot of them. Uh, well, Bumbershoot 89 was where Dwayne Parcells of Renton was the victim of the world's first head-banging injury at a Mother Love Bone show. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the first one. And I'm sure no one will ever forget the historic mumble-off between Michael Stipe and Eddie Vedder. <laughs> that was right here in 1999. Um, no one will forget, and no one will ever know what either of them said. Well, listen, Sean McGrath, thank you. This is yeah. fascinating history Absolutely. on the Bumbershoot Festival. Sean My McGrath pleasure. is our thank Bumbershoot you. correspondent. This right here, this is Live Wire from Public Radio International. We're coming to you from Bumbershoot in Seattle. Our next guest is a Northwest native hailing from Tacoma, Washington, just down I-5 from where we are. Do not call it the I-5, because you will expose yourself as being a Californian who moved here. 
Nico Case started playing drums in bands when she was 17. In 1998, she recorded vocals for what was supposed to be a side project called The New Pornographers. We all know how that turned out awesomely. Since then, Nico's been a force in the alt-country scene with critics comparing her to Patsy Cline and Wanda Jackson. She's about to release a career-spanning vinyl box set called Truck Driver Gladiator Mule. Please welcome Nico Case to Livewire. How many public radio shows have you been on where the host starts crying in the first four minutes? <laughs> None. Okay. Which, that was, I, I actually cried kind of, too. Really? Yeah. You gonna write a song about it? It's really sweet. No. Okay. That's the right call. Um, mm-hmm. You have written probably the best and maybe the only love song to the city of Tacoma, Washington. Um, for people that don't know about Tacoma, can you explain uh, uh, what the city of Tacoma is like and also how that affected you growing up there and, and your sort of view of the world? Uh, basically, stay out of there. <laughs> because we don't want you. Well, you guys always talk shit about us for years. Like, stinky, t- Tacoma, ew. Yeah, the aroma of Tacoma from was Tacoma, a... Tacoma, you know. No one was ever nice about it, so... We had to love ourselves because we had no choice. But we actually did love it, and it really is a great place. But don't move there. Tacoma, for folks who don't know, is about 30 miles south of Seattle, I guess. And Somewhere over there. It's one of the many it's places. It's on a pirate map. I actually went, I was actually in Portland recently in one of those cutesy little shops where they sell Northwest things, and they had maps of Washington, and Tacoma wasn't on it. <laughs> and I was like, fine. Did growing up in a place that was always getting, uh, you know, dismissed by the larger city to the north, did that kind of instill any scrappiness in you? And has that been part of your your career, you think? There was definitely a, a, we don't really have anything to lose feeling. So I still feel that way. Like, well, if people don't like it, you know, what are you going to do? So if people don't have a positive review of something you're creating, it doesn't get to you? No. In fact, there's something about people being honest about not liking something that kind of makes me like them extra hard. So I'll be like, really? You just told, you told the truth? Can I come over? That was... <laughs> Thank you. I would have really conducted this interview differently if I knew you wanted to be negged. You can neg me. It's cool. Um, a lot of people uh, may not uh, be aware that you also are a visual artist, and I have something here that you apparently drew when oh, yeah. you were a kid in Tacoma. One of oh, our yeah. listeners who used to play at this punk rock club down in Tacoma sent this to us. It is a poster that you drew. Do you, have, you, have you seen this picture in a long time? You know, it's funny. I actually went through a bunch of stuff recently, and I think I saw a copy of this. I don't know where the original one is, but that's pretty funny. <laughs> I used to work at this rock club. And I loved it very much. Were you more of a visual artist or a musical artist when you were a kid? Um, I had no idea that being a musician or playing music was something you could really do as a, as a kid. So I played music for no less than 10 years before going, wow, you're playing music. That's really like you're playing it. I guess you can say that you're playing it. It's one of the, I think it just comes from being a girl in America you know, just kind of thinking you're not that great at stuff. In the days when this club was happening, um, it, there was no ladies in bands at all, really. So we really, we needed us ladies. But we kind of didn't really realize that was the problem at the same time because it wasn't happening. Like, you totally have to see yourself doing it as far as, you know, if you're black or white or whatever, you need to see a person. You need to be able to see yourself kind of do it. So I just, there wasn't really any of that going on, so... Well, have you all mu- kinds of kids doing that stuff. You must have, uh, you know, young women come up to you and say, hey, that you were that in their life, right? Now and again, I think it affects me more when, for example, we played Coachella last year, and we were hanging around before our show, and I remember walking behind the Heim stage, and I went to watch them for a while, and I looked out at a sea of kids, like, you know, boys, girls, every color of person, and they were rocking the f*** out to this girl band. 
And I was bawling my eyes out. I was just like, this is something I really wanted to see. And I couldn't even like think that there was that in the world when I, when I was this age, when this poster came out. But I was desperately like hanging around this rock club with all these really nice dudes who kind of ran the place, you know. I was lucky enough to kind of be taken under these older dudes' wing. I got really lucky. They just thought I was a funny kid, and they let me hang around. I read that you, you've described yourself as being both male and female, yeah. equal parts. What does oh, that yeah. actually look like in your life? What does that mean exactly? I just do whatever I want. <laughs> I mean, legally, illegally, no. Uh, I don't know. I just, I think that's the, where the Tacoma thing kind of comes into play. Like, well, we don't have anything to lose, so why not just try to do that, you know? I mean, my friends did everything from open rock clubs to be in bands to start their own um, amateur wrestling league <laughs> to starting, you know, uh, sw swap meets on their lawns with bands, you know. People did all kinds of stuff for fun, and they didn't, they didn't really care about looking cool or the consequences because we all knew that being from Tacoma, we weren't going to look cool no matter what we did, so we kind of... Didn't care, but we also kind of had a sense that we were very mighty in some way. It was a real Goonies feeling, <laughs> I think. You didn't have anybody chained in the attic, though, no, right? No, no. Okay, it was much worse than that. <laughs> um, we're talking to Nico Case. This is Livewire Radio. We're coming to you from the Bumbershoot Festival in Seattle. Um, you're about to go out on a big stage, and there's going to be thousands and thousands of people watching you. I think you're performance this weekend is one of the most anticipated of the festival. When you're now actually in that moment in your life where you are in front of all those people and you are doing your thing with great acclaim, is that as fun as you thought it would be? And also, how does it compare to when you were a kid doing a swap meet on somebody's front lawn and playing for nobody? Um, it is absolutely unlike I thought it would be because... I, like most people growing up, thought that music was kind of the people you see on TV or heard on the radio, which is a very small percentage of people. But there's a massive spread of blue-collar level musicians that tour and record things and, you know, do soundtracks, work for theaters, etc. So there's a really large space with a lot of room for everyone, really. And you can actually make a living being a musician, it's not anything fancy. Like, you know, people think if you're in a magazine article or something that you have made it, you are loaded, but it actually means you just made enough money to hire a publicist to get you in the magazine, which is great, but it also is such a huge amount of work. Um, you know, I'm 45 now, and I have no family, I have no kids, but... To me, it's a strange victory in that, like, I made every decision that got me here, and yet none of the things that I thought were at the end of that as, say, a 15-year-old, you know, listening to punk rock records, or an 8-year-old, like, roller skating in the house, making up a video in the mirror with my hairbrush to, like, a heart song or something, like, I wouldn't have thought it was so every day. You just work really super hard and then you go home. But it's, it's one of those things, too, where you're self-employed, so you work, you know, 26 hours a day, and there's no sleeping, and then, you know, there will be, like, a doctor intervention. <laughs> you really are going to ruin your adrenal glands if yeah. you don't, you know, eat this broccoli and go to sleep for a week. That's actually what so. this is, Nico. We brought exactly. all these people here to tell you that you need to just Please tell down. me Nikki Six is here, and he's yes. going to hold my hand. Yes. If four out of the five crew members are here, Vince Neil would not come. I kind of not secretly love Molly Crew, actually. Yeah? A lot, yeah. What are some bands that the average uh, Nico Case fan might be surprised to hear you're a fan of? I had a good year where I would go running and listen to nothing but Toxic by Britney Spears. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And I never would... I don't know how I didn't associate Britney with it, but I'd just be like, mm. Also, I believe and in the it, song she says, it's Britney, bitch. I don't That's think I'd known indicator. that in Toxic. Oh, I, really? I would have I known that. I guess you'd know you've heard the song 87,000 times. I, d I did. 
Let's spread my batch. Would you ever do a cover of that? No. <laughs> no. Who wants to hear that? I would. Brittany nailed it. She already did it perfect. Well, we have to let you go because you have to walk out of this building and go play your set here at Bumbershoot. I do. Other than going on a radio show uh, you probably hadn't heard of before, what is your typical prep for when you're about to, to play a show? I just show up on time, I hope. <laughs> Can we push it five minutes? Like, you know, stuff like that. I have to pee really bad. I've been in the van. Um, I try to eliminate before the show. <laughs> and then I generally can stay on task for the entire 75 to 90 minutes, depending on where we're playing. That is some professional advice from Nico Case, right here on Livewire Radio. Nico, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Our musical act this show is a gypsy-tinged quartet from Denver, Colorado. They meld Eastern European folk and indie pop to create a wildly original musical experience. Please welcome Devotchka to Livewire.
Wow. That's Devotchka right here on Livewire. This week's show is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, committed to full GMO transparency in all stores by 2018, because everyone deserves to know what's in their food, except for children. Because <laughs> sometimes you've got to sneak vegetables in there, like with zucchini bread. It's for their own good. More information at WholeFoodsMarket.com. Uh, hey, Luke. Sorry to interrupt. Hey, Sean. What's Sorry, up, man? buddy. I have some last-minute schedule changes for you guys. This is Sean McGrath. He's our uh, Bumbershoot correspondent. Pretty important stuff. If you could just whip out your schedules real quick. Um, so tomorrow night, the Yoko Ono cover band, uh, mm -hmm. Beret of Light and the Fury of My Loneliness. They've canceled their show, unfortunately, to a uh, uh, freak theremin accident. That's too Super bad. dangerous. Yeah. Um, looks like they're going to be replaced by, oh, um, the real Yoko Ono. So refunds can be found at the event box office. Oh, I want to make sure that nobody, it's not a bait and switch thing. I just want you guys to get, you know, you want to see, you really want to see Beret of Light. Um, um, anything else that uh, these people Yeah, unfortunately, need to know about? Uh, the band Shut Up Spaghetti Face, they had to cancel due to some personnel issues. It got pretty messy. So at 11 a.m. tomorrow morning, they're going to be replaced on the Double Stuff Oreos mini stage. Um, by a, a really cool band um, called Pi Squared and the Integers of Satan. They're out of Ann Arbor. They're outstanding. What, what sort of music do they play? Uh, they're a death metal slash algebra prog band. Kind of. I mean, that's my own kind of assessment of them. Um, but everyone in the band just plays the banjo. Very unique sound. And then immediately after them... They're basically opening for the jazz funk stylings of retired NBA power forward Xavier McDaniel and the Slam Dunks. And if you've ever seen an Xavier McDaniel and the Slam Dunk show, you're going to come back. I mean, it's just... That's not a real thing. You made that up. It is a real thing. Why would I say it? It's, these are the, the updates they gave me. Don't... Whatever you do, Luke, do not let Xavier McDaniel think that you think his band is made up. He will posterize you. All right. Thank you, Sean, for the update. Thanks, Sean McGrath, our Bumbershoot correspondent. Uh, back to your regularly scheduled uh, programming. Next up, we've got a stand-up comic, author, and the host of NPR's quiz show, Ask Me Another. Ophira Eisenberg was selected as one of New York Magazine's top ten comics that people find funny, which frankly sounds a little noncommittal. Like they're saying, people find this person funny, but we think she's hilarious, and we're so excited she's here. Please welcome Ophira Eisenberg to Live Wire. Hello, everybody. Uh, someone asked me today that if the name Ophira was made up. I did not make up that name. I just want to clear that up right now. It is actually a, a very old, ancient Hebrew name that um, didn't catch on. <laughs> so, And uh, yes, I have let myself go. Um, I am pregnant, uh, and I'm, I'm pretty old to be doing this for the very first time. Uh, or, as I'm told, I'm both high-risk and an inspiration. <laughs> so, uh, but it's good. I'm fine. I feel great. Uh, there's really no issues with the whole thing. Actually, there's one slight issue, which is that uh, I don't really like kids. So, <laughs> see how this rolls. They say you'll like your own. Fingers crossed. You know, I, I don't know it yet. Hopefully it's not a jerk. We'll find out. Uh, but I, I'm excited. I'm glad I didn't do this when I was in my 20s. I would have thought I was ruining my life. Now I'm ruining someone else's life. So it's cool. Uh, and because I'm doing this older, uh, when I told a lot of my friends, their first question was odd in my mind because they said, how did it happen? How did it happen? Interesting. Uh, well, I was walking down the street and a vat of sperm fell on me, you know? Uh, must have been that toilet seat at the train station. No. That can happen, by the way. It is a cliche story. It was Valentine's Day. My husband took me out for a very nice, very expensive dinner, and I felt guilty. 
That is the entire story. I think that's how a lot of Jewish babies have been conceived, actually. <laughs> and it's great to be in Seattle. I, I live in Brooklyn, uh, also in sort of a small batch, organic, handmade community. Uh, it, you know, it's the kind of place where you buy a sweater and they give you a bee to take care of. You know, it's really... It's, uh, it, it is so overdone. Actually, even on the flight over here, I am buying a burger on the plane, their in-flight menu, and the burger was advertised as 100% local beef. I was like, really? Interesting. We're on a plane. Where are you sourcing that from? Do we pass a sky ranch at 10,000 feet that I didn't see? Or you, have you been raising cows in cargo? You know, carving up in between serving us Bloody Marys? And I said to the flight attendant, how is it local? And she went, that is weird. And then just looked out the window. <laughs> like there were meat clouds or something <laughs> flying by. And in my little neighborhood, things are, things are pretty, you know, they're, they're cool. People think they're very cool. There's no ice cream shops. There's only artisanal ice cream shops. And if you don't know what an artisanal ice cream shop is, I'll tell you, an artisanal ice cream shop is an ice cream store where the children within it are crying because there is nothing there for them. Because all the flavors are like lavender and sage and leather and tobacco, you know, like nothing. There was a child in the store and the mother was trying to make it feel better. She was like, no, sweetheart, they don't have chocolate. No, they have uh, Johnny Walker double black. Do you want that? Kids like, I like IPAs. <laughs> uh, but I'm originally from Canada. We walk amongst you undetected. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, nice. Other Canadians clapping or just people appreciating Canadians. Uh, and, and where I grew up uh, is a cool place. But when I moved, it's like they, uh, people I knew were insecure that I moved, especially that I moved to America. Because uh, I came home recently and I saw a guy from high school and he actually said to me, you think you're so much better than us because you left? I was like, whoa, no, no, no. I always thought I was better than you. <laughs> Which is why I left. That's why I left. Uh, and, you know, when you're pregnant, they say that people uh, will touch you and invade your, your physical space because it's now public property. I, I've only had one interaction where a guy did not touch me. He actually, a stranger, beelined towards my stomach with his head, came right up to me, kissed my belly three times. I was so shocked. I didn't even stop it. I just watched it happen. Kissed it three times and then looked up at me and said, you know, it's a girl. And I just went... I'm not pregnant. <laughs> and the range of emotions I saw cover his face, it went from like shame to confusion, fear to disgust, embarrassment. And I was like, I really should save this guy and say something and make him feel better and tell him that I'm pregnant. And I thought, or I could just walk away. And that's what I did. I just walked away. It felt great. Thank you. Thank you very much. That's Ophira Eisenberg. That is a mistake that you make <laughs> once in your life, the whole thinking someone's pregnant and commenting on it when they're not. I've, I've made that mistake. I said to this gal, oh, you know, when are you due? And I saw her suck her stomach in <laughs> and go, and then she said, what do you mean? And then I just... Uh, I pretended like I was a mentally ill person because I would rather she thought I was mentally ill than I thought That's she was pregnant. That's a good pregnant. choice. That's absolutely what I did. Yeah. So now a woman could have a baby halfway out of her and I would just be like, not, I wouldn't say anything. I would not help. I would just be like, nothing to see here. Uh, I, you know, it's a, I, at a moment where I felt like I had to start talking about it on stage because I was doing a show and I guess I was just starting to show uh, and I could feel that there was distraction in the audience. So I, f I mentioned it, and so I could move on, and had the you should always know more than the audience. Yes. And then afterwards, a guy Which came up to... rarely happens on this show, by the way. <laughs> a guy came up to me, and he said, I'm so glad you're pregnant. And I was like, that is the weirdest thing to say. Thank you. And he goes, because I just want to bet with my wife. 
like, wow, that's, everyone's so nice. Yeah. So the wife was not, not believing in you. Yeah, yeah she was not believing <laughs> Dude, you. Like just Eisenberg hitting the carbs. Yep. Uh, and I did have another friend that when I told her, she was like, oh, we were all just hoping that you were getting fat. <laughs> so. uh, okay, stay right here. We have Ophira Eisenberg with us. We've got to take a short break, and then we'll be back with more live wire from PRI here at the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival. This podcast is brought to you by ErgoDepot.com, who are not kidding around when it comes to making you healthier. There are healthier ways to sit, and they've got them all. Sit-stand seating, saddle seats, kneeling chairs. If you've got to sit, shouldn't you sit healthier? We sure think so. Find out more by visiting ErgoDepot.com. All right, welcome back to Live Wire. We're uh, coming to you from the Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival here in Seattle. And the theme of our show this hour is uh, unexpected things. And so, Ophira, tonight, <laughs> we thought we would surprise you. Oh, yeah? With somebody that you did not expect to see on stage. Everyone, please welcome Ophira's actual real-life older sister, Abigail. Gave me a mic. Holy oh, crap. Really? <laughs> All right. So, Abigail, you were uh, planning on coming to the show, okay, but uh, you came down from Victoria, BC. That's right. Yep. That's right. Vancouver Island. So, you knew, Ophira, that Abigail would be here, but what you did not know yeah. is that Abigail <laughs> has been nursing some grudges from your childhood. Ah, and we have brought her here to play something we're calling Live Wire's Mildly Acrimonious Sibling Grievance Court. <laughs> You understand that I moved across the country for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just lay out Abigail's case here. Ophira, you are essentially charged with the sibling crime of multiple Barbie appropriation, including clothing, accessories, and vehicles. Abigail, lay the case out for us. So here's the thing. Uh, Ophira is the youngest of uh, six children. Yep. And uh, by the time uh, all, the, all of us cleared out, Ophira had amassed basically what amounted to a Barbie global village Empire. of stuff. Um, and this included uh, the precursor to Barbie, Midge. It's true. Uh, and uh, the first bendable leg Barbie, Barbie. And uh, all sorts of clothes, uh, including many, many clothes that our mother had handmade. So... There was um, a nude crocheted dress that we put Midge in when we played Secretary Barbie. Sure. And there was... Employee of the Month Barbie? <laughs> that sounds kind of sexy. I want to hear more about this Eisenberg household. I remember there was a vinyl see-through uh, raincoat as oh, it was well. was Flasher Barbie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Got rid of that. When we played Barbie Goes to Meet David Cassidy. But you... Somehow that wasn't a concern in your case, and so there was uh, injustice here. I think that Midge, by the way, is collectible. I think, and Midge had a little, uh, could talk, had a little string on her back, but the time oh. I got it, oh. it was wrecked. Well, this <laughs> is what we have in the uh, court documents, uh, that you're asking for thirty-seven fifty in damages. <laughs> well, that's thirty-seven fifty American. That's like $1,700 Canadian. Okay. It's fine. I'm into that. All right, cool. so that's actually the question, and maybe we've just gotten right to the end of it, Ophira. Are you willing to pay the thirty-seven fifty? Because you can also, <laughs> if you don't have the money, yeah. uh, Abigail would also accept wiping clean from the familial slate the time that she was really mean to you at Banff National Park. Which oh. time? Oh. <laughs> um, or if you would just like to insult... Uh, Ab Abigail, if you'd just like to insult Ophira now or do something to get even, you can. This is no, no, that's not the way our family no, no, no. works. We'll you take the money. We take the money. We take yeah. the money. <laughs> Are you willing to pay the money, Ophira? I'm wearing uh, $37.50? 1700 Canadian. Yeah. 1700 Canadian? <laughs> yeah, I'll pay it in American and a couple loons. Yeah, you're we right. did you're not right. think you were going to agree that quickly. We had brought this live wire, these live wire t shirts. Oh, yeah, we'll take those too. Have roughly, you don't get any of these, Barbie Fat. <laughs> These have roughly the, uh, the, the value of $37.50. We were going to offer these, and there's also two temporary tattoos. 
And, uh, oh, and I'm, I'm, I have to say, this is very Canadian of you, very genteel how you, you've solved this. And it's another successful round of Livewire's Mildly Acrimonious Sibling Grievance Court. Thank you. Big thanks to Ophira and Abigail Eisenberg. Hey, Luke. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. I got one more update. Hi, Sean. Sean McGrath, our Bumbershoot correspondent. Guys, get your schedules out. Just got one more real quick one. Um, So Wax Flatter, they're the uh, Brazilian, Dutch, Incontinent, Kabuki, Transpolka Collective. They're outstanding. They, uh, They were just at Burning Man. They've agreed to shorten... They're set from four hours to 11 minutes. So if you thought you'd go kind of around the three-hour mark where it's getting really trippy, you don't want to do that. You want to head over to the Emerald stage pretty much right after our show to catch them. That sounds unnecessarily complicated. Well, not for me, but I'm like a huge wax flatter head. Like I have all their stuff. Uh, Oh, I'm sorry. One more update. Um, uh, This was just added. So uh, write this in if you can. Um, the evocative sound with an apostolic vibe that's both accessible and transgressive. Uh, you want to go to the Holy Hand stage for God's authority. Okay? They're a duo of Kentucky marriage license clerks dressed as... <laughs> and they're dressed as Kathy Bates from Misery. Okay. They're outstanding. Yeah, that's not to be missed. Thank you, Sean. I you, appreciate it. Luke, you can be my plus one. Oh, really? You yeah. do that for me? Yeah. No one else will go. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Sean McGrath, Bumbershoot correspondent. This is Livewire Radio. This week's show is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines with 80 nonstops from Seattle. And this fall, adding New York's Kennedy Airport. Now the city that never sleeps is just a nap away if you have enough red wine on the flight. Alaska Airlines, keeping you connected nonstop. More information at alaskaair.com. All right, once again, please welcome Davachka to the stage. Could wake us 
That is Dvotchka. That is good theremin. Right here on Livewire Radio. That's our show. We'll see you next week. All right, go ahead and close the door. Step back here into the dressing room where it's actually... Equally loud because of all of the music that's still going on here. Can you hear this? I'm over standing by the window here at the uh, Bumbershoot Music and Arts Festival. All right. That was uh, that was probably one of the more emotional uh, editions of Livewire that I have ever been through. But uh, but it was um, it was something I'll, uh, I'll remember for a long time. Hope you enjoyed the show as well. We want to thank the people that helped make it happen. First of all, big thanks to our uh, guests this show, Ophira Eisenberg, Nico Case, and, of course, music from Devochka. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is our head writer and a producer. Jim Brunberg is a producer and member of our house band, along with Dave Jorgensen. Jim and Dave making the trip up from Portland here to Seattle. Molly Pettit is our technical director and is doing an amazing job. Welcome to the team, Molly. Our recordist and mixer is Jason Powers. Jason Rouse is associate producer. Of course, he's also our announcer, and he's part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone and Sean McGrath. Laura Haddon is our marketing manager. Our new operations manager is Lauren Masterson. And we got some huge help on these Bumbershoot shows from Jesse Friedman. Thanks to Jesse. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you fine people. Special thanks to this show to Chris Weber, J.T. Sapp, Jackie Wade, and everybody here at Bumbershoot. For more information about the show or how you can become a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. PRI Public Radio International.